Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is one of well, an early commemoration for Sophroni in the sense that I believe this is only the third year in which we've had a feast of St. Sophroni. He being officially canonized or put into uh, on the calendar for us to commemorate by the Holy Synod of Constantinople and the Patriarch and the Metropolitans there, declaring with him other great saints of the 20th century. Saint Sophroni, I can very clearly contribute or attribute to him my, the final kind of kick uh, in the proverbial behind to finally go ahead and become orthodox. I had read things, orthodox things, I had gone to some services, but it was specifically the writings of St. Sophroni in telling about his spiritual father, St. Siloan the Athenite, uh, that finally brought clarity as to making the jump to actually becoming orthodox. It's one thing to read orthodox books. Many people read orthodox books. It's one thing to maybe like orthodox icons, uh, music, etc. But it was particularly the portrait of St. Siloan and the way in which he embodied the orthodox faith that was finally I said, I want that. I think, if God allows me to, to actually be conformed to the image of Christ within orthodoxy. And there's a saying of St. Sophroni that I think encapsulates what uh, drew me in. It will also be kind of the skeleton for tomorrow's homily. And St. Sophroni was writing letters back and forth. This has now been translated into English and is available from the monastery in Essex. As you heard in the hymn for uh, St. Siloan, uh, if you don't know, sorry, St. Sophroni. Uh, Sophroni started out, uh, he was born in Russia, he grew up in Russia. Uh, he was a great painter. He uh, exhibited even in Paris with names that you would recognize. Uh, he was very uh, talented in that pursuit. And at some point, uh, having been baptized Orthodox and being raised uh, in a pious household, he uh, deserted the Orthodox faith for uh, a pursuit of, how should I say this, transcendence and being and things. Basically, he got into the writings, you could say, further east from Moscow and Russia. He had a great experience of our Lord and returned back to the church of his youth and he eventually went to Mount Athos where he discovered St. Silwan, Mount Athos being a great monastic center for the Orthodox Church. Uh, and eventually uh, he ended up, if I'm remembering correctly, because of physical conditions he had to leave Mount Athos because especially in the middle of the 20th century or early middle 20th century, they didn't have doctors and things the way that they did in other places. But he ended up in Paris uh, and eventually ended up in England, uh, in East Anglia at the monastery, uh, specifically they say Essex, 
Uh, but you can see from the monastery uh, the English Channel if there's not too much fog uh, in the way. There is, uh, in St. Sophroni, we have, as the hymn tells us, he traveled from east to west. We have a very close link. And for many Orthodox in America, St. Sophroni, uh, I wasn't in any way unique in being drawn to Orthodoxy through St. Sophroni and St. Solon. There are many who um, attribute very much their life in Christ or a depth and their life in the church to Saint for the writings of St. Sophroni and St. Siloan. So to many of us, it was no surprise when they finally canonized him. There was, to go back to what I said before I made a huge parenthetical <laughs> uh, trail there, uh, the skeleton for the, the tonight and then for tomorrow is a quote uh, that was drawn from a letter that he sent to uh, a man who had been in the priesthood and then had actually left the priesthood and the Orthodox Church to suffering. So there is an encounter, uh, there is a book that has letters that go back and forth uh, between David Balfour and Father Sophroni, St. Sophroni. And in this, basically, this priest was rubbing up against the exclusivity of Orthodoxy, the specifics of Orthodoxy the confession of faith of orthodoxy, specifically its adherence to Jesus Christ, uh, its adherence uh, to the ecumenical councils, uh, etc. So Sophroni uh, is talking with him, dialoguing back and forth with him, and he's gone that path before. But the thing that he says is, I cannot take in, or I cannot fully understand, or live, a Christianity that is not dogmatic, uh, ecclesiological, or ascetical. For him, the Christian faith, especially as articulated in the Orthodox Church, it's a way of life that combines the dogmas of the Church, the Church itself as a divine human uh, institution, if we don't like the word institution, we can say organism, structured organism, <laughs> Uh, and three, the ascetical life, the pursuit of holiness through the denial of oneself and the acquiring of the virtues. Tonight we have, in first place, because Sophroni uh, does not have the place of the great martyr Euphemia, someone who uh, the church puts before us and there's this nice little uh, bringing together of these themes because the great mother Euphemia, you probably heard and were wondering, what are they talking about? Uh, she was an early martyr who was had her relics enshrined in a church at Chalcedon where they had the Fourth Ecumenical Council. And the Fourth Ecumenical Council, they were debating as the Ecumenical Councils uh, generally, most of them, uh, come together because of uh, debates that are occurring within the church. What exactly is the nature of Christ? What does it mean when we confess, etc., etc.? So we have, as is our want in the church, a debate, an argument, uh, where we are coming together and trying to figure out and discern what the truth is. Well, they're doing this in the church in the presence of the relics of the great martyr Euphemia. And the patriarch, if I'm remembering correctly, of Constantinople says, we should just let the Holy Spirit decide. 
This is a great theme of councils of the church. Going back to Acts 15, it seemed right to us and to the Holy Spirit for this to occur. So they, he says, so we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through Euphemia. So they write down the definitions of faith that they are arguing about, and they put these definitions into the sarcophagus where the relics are, and then they say their prayers, and they leave for the evening. When they come back in the morning, Euphemia has the definition from the Fourth Ecumenical Council in her right hand, and the other definition is at her feet, under her feet. So they decide, okay, the Holy Spirit has spoken through his saint, the martyr Euphemia. This is the correct articulation of the faith. And in the face of this miracle, there's still some who said no. And this is why we have those lists at some of our commemorations of the ecumenical councils, of lists of those uh, that we well, deem heretics, Arius, Nestorius, uh, etc., etc., etc. This is, I believe, Dioscorus and Eutyches in this particular encounter. So we have the church speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit, through one of its martyrs, about the dogmas that are at stake in the church. We have dogma, we have the church assembled. We have asceticism through the denial of who's going to win this argument through sheer rhetoric. And we have it specifically given into the hands of a martyr, and a woman martyr, and a whole crowd of men with all sorts of bishop stuff on. They, didn't, I don't, they wouldn't have had mitres at this point. So we have, in the Orthodox faith, a deep tradition and way of enfolding us into the life of Christ. And by enfolding, I mean bringing us into the depths of wisdom, things that we on our own would not think up, could not think up, and on our own are kind of whipping in the wind, as it were. For we are saved together through the truths of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the dogmas of the church, specifically who Jesus Christ is, therefore who God is, and then what flows from that. It is enshrined or protected within the bosom of the church. And it is something to which in our belief, in adhering ourselves to that belief, and following the tradition of the church, this is why we have you can say tradition, big T tradition, little T traditions, but all of that tradition, this is what some theologians of the 20th century talk about, life in the Holy Spirit is what tradition is, that we are then formed in such a way that we can become, if God wills it to be, martyrs for the faith, that we can become transparent with the visage of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, that those in the world might come to believe also in the one true God and Savior. So if you are interested in St. Sophroni, there is now, when I was first interested in Orthodoxy and reading St. Sophroni, I think there was two or three books available. Now I think there's at least 10 to 12 books. And 
they keep coming. There's one that I know St. Tikron's Monastery Press is in preparation, which is um, letters back and forth between him and Father uh, George Florovsky, and they're entitled The Cross of Loneliness. So we have in this Sunday a fifth century occurrence of a martyr from earlier. We have someone born in the 19th century, canonized in the mid 20th century, St. Silouan, and then his disciple, St. Sophroni. And all of their writings, all of their encouragement to envelop us within the life of the church, if we would submit ourselves to that life, to following after their example, to learning from them and imitating them. God is truly wonderful in his saints. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.